Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Albert. And coming up later, we'll be talking to Les Pounder about Pi Academy and going through some news. But before that, you had quite a successful jam at the weekend, Albert. I did, yeah. The uh, the Nine Tegum jam was on on Sunday. There was about 100 people turned up, which is what the capacity is for the venue. And uh, we had a, a good old competition with prizes uh, donated by uh, a fair few of the, the retailers based in the UK. And the, we had two categories, over 16 and under 16. 16 and over was won by Mark Turner, who brought a robotic arm with a laser tracking done through image processing so basically you took a picture figured out what the targets are then you could pick any target and it would shoot it with the laser and the under 16 was won by uh, joshua bayfield who's uh, big into his 3d printers and uh, is trying to get it all working with the uh, the raspberry pi at the moment yeah trying to basically write a driver for a 3d printer that will run on arm because there's only one proprietary one for linux so i think that's uh, very promising and he seems like a very promising young man definitely and uh, we also caught up with Martin Wimpress, who you may remember from episode one of the Pi podcast, talking about um, Ubuntu Mate, and that seems to be coming along, the next release of that. Yeah, the um, the Ubuntu Mate is looking great. I mean, 15.10 is, is due soon, and he's made some uh, huge improvements to the first uh, the out-of-box experience. So that first boot up, there's improved menus for new users. Again, it's really designed for people who are new to Linux and want a desktop setup. And it'll all work on the uh, the Raspberry Pi just like it does on, on normal i86 desktops and laptops. Yeah, and what I took from it was that he was listening to what people were saying to him and um, he's, he looks like he's going to implement that feedback. So it's just what that kind of event is for, really. And uh, it's uh, looking good. So when that comes out, 1510, we'll definitely talk about it a little bit. But before we get into the news, just want to give a brief shout out to Pi Weekly, which is a newsletter composed by Ben Nuttall of the Raspberry Pi Foundation that just summarizes everything that's going on in the Pi community. And it's um, definitely well worth a read. Yeah, it's kind of a, a great weekly catch up on, on articles that are going on, what's happening at the academy, what are they doing, um, the news items that are on the site, and also what's happening in the community. So it's a, a good way of getting uh, extra information. And if you're in education, the foundation also have a mailing list newsletter for people who are interested in the Raspberry Pi in education specifically. So if that's where you're at, then definitely it's worthwhile subscribing to that. It's not weekly. They send one out when... They have content to go with it. Yeah, so with that then, let's move on to the news. First up then is GPIO Zero, which is a simplified GPIO programming library uh, for Python. Now, I don't know much about this kind of thing, so someone's going to have to enlighten me, I'm afraid. No problem. This was created by Ben Nuttall of the Raspberry Pi Foundation, and it looks like Dave Jones as well and a few other contributors. And basically what he's done is something I love in software projects and frameworks, which is when they remove a lot of the boilerplate code and really dumb it down for the everyday developers like myself. So he's really done a beautiful job of taking what it wasn't too hard before to, you know, interface directly with the GPIO pins, but he's definitely dumbed it down a bunch. And I really, really like what he's done here. Yeah, it's very much for, again, that that educational purpose. Uh, RPI GPIO is easy to use. It's straightforward if you know what you're doing. But instead of having to explain all of the concepts first day when you introduce something to flashing an LED, you basically say, with this, I'm going to have an LED. It's on pin 17. 
and then there's a blink command to flash it rather than having to do timing and wait commands and all that kind of thing. It just, it just makes it easier so that that on ramp into doing physical computing is drastically reduced. So people who are coming to it first time, easy stuff. And then as they want to do more complicated and advanced things, uh, they can then move to using the rpi.gpio library directly. Yeah, I haven't had a, a chance yet to play with it too much, but considering the fact that I've been really wanting to get back into programming and wiring my Raspberry Pi back up, I think I'm going to take a stab at GPL Zero, and I believe I'm going to like it quite a bit. And up next in news, we have a story about squeezing Jesse onto a 4-gig SD card. Yeah, we discussed Jesse the last time that these days it needs a, an 8-gig card to fit onto, which, you know, for most people is fine. You get an 8-gig card, happy days, they're, you know, 4 or 5 pounds each, so it's not so much the cost of it. But what is out there is um, the OCR and the Google donated a load of Raspberry Pis um, about a couple of years ago, probably at this stage, and all of them came with 4 gig cards. So there's a lot of educational installations using those kits, and they've all got 4 gig cards. So again, looking at people who probably are not aware of the differences and things they need to take into account, um, they're now going to have SD cards that are going to be too small for the new Jesse. So people are looking to take off the unnecessary applications for those environments. So just slimming it back down so that it'll fit on a, a 4 gig card so that those kits are still valid and those schools don't need to go out to buy more SD cards and figure out how to image them because they all came pre-imaged. So uh, yeah, it's a good thing and it looks it looks like it's more than possible. Yeah, we kind of brought this up in the last podcast how this was something we were afraid might take shape as with future releases of Raspbian getting larger and larger. So hopefully they'll kind of keep this in mind and equally have a group of people in the community. They're slimming them down. Yes. And uh, I noticed as well this week that Pi Hut are having a, a clearance sale. They're selling the B plus and so not the two for 22 pounds, including shipping. And that kind of seems to be the price for the B plus at the moment. So if what you're looking for is a Raspberry Pi to do GPIO work where you don't need a huge amount of processing power, then the B plus is, is great value at this stage. I think the Pi 2 is around the £30 in the UK at this point. So, you know, 66% of the cost isn't a, isn't a bad thing. And uh, you still get a fully functional computer. And then there's a, a, a Lego a Raspberry Pi microscope. I, I came across this uh, again in the last couple of days where it's... As it says, it's made out of Lego. The frame is made out of Lego. A bit of technique parts in there to move the pieces around. But for me, the interesting piece here is that it uses a, a camera that's available on WaveShare. Um, I, this is the first time I've seen a third-party camera that will work with the um, the ribbon cable on the Raspberry Pi for its own camera. So this is the first third-party camera that I've seen. And this one has got a, a manual focus which is how they're able to make it work as a microscope. Yeah, and in terms of the cost for this, it's all very low, isn't it? I mean, you would have thought making a microscope would be very expensive. I mean, I know it's not super magnification or anything, but it's uh, it, it's certainly um, good good for kids to start playing with and uh, very cheap. Yeah, it's definitely achievable as a project. And another one from Instructables is Raspberry Pi night vision goggles. Now, this looks really cool. I mean, it's kind of a little bit um, stuck together with tape and stuff, but that's the, the you know in the spirit of these things. But it's it, the the results are absolutely amazing. I mean, it's proper night vision. Yeah, it uses the uh, the Pi Noir camera, 
So the one without the, the filters on it. So you get your, your night vision from that. So it's an infrared camera effectively and then a, a screen. So uh, yeah, again, another one that's definitely achievable and a, another alternative use for the Raspberry Pi and the, uh, the cameras. Yeah. I hadn't realized quite how good that Pi Noir camera is, but, uh, Judging by the results from this, it's extremely good. Well worth uh, checking out. Now, we've talked about various operating systems that you can get running on the Pi. We've talked about RiskOS and obviously various Linux distros and even Windows Internet of Things. But one that seems to have been lacking up until now is Android. And you'd think, well, Android being uh, kind of primarily targeted at ARM devices it should run quite well. And Martin Wimpress actually alerted us to a project called RaspAnd, which, as the name suggests, is Android for the Raspberry Pi. And it's based on Android 5.1 Lollipop. So not quite the latest version, but certainly um, up there. And we all three of us tried it out, didn't we? And I must say I was bitterly disappointed with it. Yeah, it, it functions. It, it, there is no easy install. It is a, a step by step guide where you have to create the partitions and add the files in, but it, it works. Uh, so it's a, it's a good start. It, it does function. It doesn't have any acceleration as far as I could tell. So everything is very slow. But again, it, it does function. It's kind of a, a starting place, which means it's definitely possible. So proof of concept level is how I describe it at this point. Yeah, I definitely ran into problems with getting, I couldn't get home or back in anything I, I guess I clicked forward into. And then I also had problems, since I used my TV as my Raspberry Pi monitor, ran into problems with the TV, suddenly was kicked into landscape mode, I believe, or portrait mode. So the whole TV was basically on its side. But when I uh, talked to Joe and uh, Albert about this, this re- really reminds me of back when you would do Android development using Eclipse. And they have emulators you could pull down, and they used to be really, really slow, and they've improved this quite a bit, but they're still really slow, and it reminds me a lot of those days trying to get Android emulators to run on the clips. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be using it for anything uh, proper at the moment, but it's it's one of those ones to watch to see where it ends up. Yeah, but $9 for a proof of concept, I don't know, it feels a bit rich to me. I um, I wouldn't recommend it yet, not for a long time by the looks of things. And to wrap up our news, we have a story about Senior Pi, which is using the Raspberry Pi for elderly people. And I just want to, I'm going to try this out. I have to with my grandparents because they have an iPad my grandmother does. And God bless her soul. She cannot use it to say, you know, to save the world. But I feel like if you can get the Raspberry Pi to teach kids, that's one thing. But to teach elderly people is going to really be the the task of all tasks. If we can somehow teach elderly people how to use Raspberry Pi, I will be dumbfounded at the real power of the Raspberry Pi. Because I have yet to see a device that can easily bridge the gap with elderly people and technology. Have either of you two had any problems with this before? Because I have with my, like I said, my grandmother and the iPad. Oh, my my mother, my father. Yeah, when I lived nearby, I, I used to spend a lot of time at their house. And I've uh, a few other friends in clubs that I'm in that would be a, a little bit older and, you know, semi-regularly get the call to go over to remove the sort of adware and all the other bits and pieces that are on their Windows machines or things just stop working and they don't know why. But yeah, if this works well on the Raspberry Pi, it'll be really, really cool. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but yeah, good project. It sounds all good in theory and I looked at it and it, I thought, oh, this is, looks excellent. And so I downloaded it and tried it and 
it took me a long time to get it going because it assumes that the the USB disc is going to be mounted in a certain place and it's not. And once I actually got it installed, it takes about an hour to do it, as it says, fair enough. And then it reboots itself and you just get a black screen with a blinking cursor. So I get the feeling that this was based on Wheezy and hasn't been updated for Jesse. So I've yet to try it on Wheezy yet, but um, yeah, maybe I should do that before condemning it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to trying this out, especially if it's just all pre-configured and I just hand it off to them and it just works as is out of the box. It'll be great because I'm, I'm tired of the emails that I just get out of the blue of, I hope this email worked or something where <laughs> I don't know what's occurred with my grandmother. And she has no idea. She sent me pictures or emails. So that's always a great time. So I really want to see, like I said before, it's easy to teach kids the Raspberry Pi. We'll see if this works. Because if this works, I will be hands down. I'm already a fan of the Raspberry Pi, but this will, I'll do backflips if this actually works out well. Right then, let's move on to the interview. We're now joined by Les Pounder, who is a freelance author and certified Raspberry Pi educator. So welcome to the show, Les. Hello, thanks for having me. Ah, no worries. So, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, well, right now I'm a freelance author, so I write for magazines such as Linux Formats, Linux Voice, the official Raspberry Pi magazine, Magpie. I also write for Element 14 website, and I also train people in the dark art of the Raspberry Pi. Les, uh, when did you first become acquainted with the Raspberry Pi Foundation? With the Foundation itself... um, I first met them in roughly 2013, late 2013, at Manchester Raspberry Jam, and I got the chance to meet the team there and and chat with them, which was a great experience. At the time, I I didn't know them at all, didn't know their backgrounds, what they did, but over the course of roughly two years, I've learned all the skill sets that they have and what a marvellous job they're doing at the moment to really put computing and coding in the hands of children. Fantastic. And the the piece that you're involved with most seems to be the uh, the Pi Academy events. What what do you do for those? Right. Well, Pi Academy is two days of training for teachers. So they call it CPD in the UK. And on those two days, you'll get bombarded with masses of information where you learn everything about the Raspberry Pi. So what Python is, what Linux is, what electronics you can do with a Raspberry Pi. And this is all via a series of lessons usually one hour long and there's five lessons in the first day. At the end of day one, once you've got all this information stored in your head, you go away and you think of a project. And on day two, you come back and have a solo or as a team, you build these projects and then you show them off at a show and tell at the end of the day. And there's some mad projects that come out of these events. We've had um, Twister games, which are controlled by the Python's random library. So it picks a colour at random, it picks an, a body pass at random, and you have to do whatever you have to do in Twister to make that game happen. We've had football games where two motors are driven randomly. You press a button, a random number is generated, and a foot attached to a DC motor spins around, kicks a ping pong ball, and the goalkeeper is really a motor with a wheel with a picture of a goalkeeper stuck to it, and the motor just runs around the football field. It's pure madness, and I'm just there to make sure that everyone enjoys themselves and gets something out of it. And it's brilliant. I love it. It it sounds like great fun. How did did you get involved with the Pi Academy? You know, was it through your connection with the the foundation themselves? You know, what what made them pick you, do you think? It's totally out of the blue. I received an email in late 2014 from Carrie-Anne Philbin, 
And she said that she wanted to bring in members of the community into the Raspberry Pi Foundation as contractors to help make Pi Academy better. So there's myself and Martin O'Hanlon, who wrote the Adventures in Minecraft book. And we help run sessions either in Cambridge or in Leeds, or Martin's got his own centre now in Birmingham. And it's just because they've seen what we've done out in the real world, they thought, that's great, let's bring them on board. And we happen to just fit in with what they're doing, and it's brilliant. Yeah, it looks like there's very regular sessions these days. I, I see you on Twitter saying you're in various cities and doing various things. Is there a schedule kind of booked out for the next 12 months, or is it still being worked through? Still being worked through. At the moment, we're in a transitional period. So we're currently running Pi Academy at centres around the UK. So we're having the last session in Leeds in about a week's time. And then that centre is going to close. Birmingham is going to be the main centre then, running with Martin O'Hanlon in the lead. And then we're also working on getting uh, Pi Academy into the United States, which will be in 2016. That'll be fantastic. And at the training itself, do you, you're saying, do you mainly coordinate or do you run some of the sessions and which sessions specifically do you uh, take control of? My main one is the robotics session. Uh, I love robots. I love motors. I love making things run around the room, going crazy. So I, I take over that and I use the uh, Explorer Hat Pro from Pimeroni for that session because it's just so easy to work with. So I, over the course of an hour, I give them 20 minutes tuition on how to use the board and a, a simple demo script just so they can see how the motors work. Then I give them at least 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, where they'll just build something wild and crazy. And this is where games such as Twister come from. Uh, we have casino games as well. Someone um, simulated a roulette wheel with one. That was quite interesting. What the applicational uh, educational aspects of that are, I don't know. But uh, it was certainly interesting, <laughs> teaching kids to gamble. But it, it's interesting because... You just get the, the toy box out with all the uh, craft materials, so plasticine, glue, cards, you name it. And you just give them the time and a bit of guidance to build what they want in such a, a short period of time. So we also use uh, stuff like Lego. Lego is fantastic for using with the Raspberry Pi because you can build something extremely fast. Brilliant. I mean, that's what Kat Lamon said as well, that she thought the... Uh the Pi Academy one was the, one of the best, if not the best training that she's ever been on because it, it's, it sounds like it's like an amazingly inspirational uh, two days. Oh, definitely, yes. I mean, the amount of people that come to Pi Academy, we get roughly 25 people per Pi Academy session, but there are easily four times as many people waiting to come onto the course each time. We have to go through the applications each time to see if people are suitable for the course, and then also what they've done, what makes them an educator that really wants to sink their teeth into using the Raspberry Pi. So we have such a, a, a long-winded application process, but it's long-winded for a reason. We need to vet out the people that are the fantastic people that are going to push it forward. Okay, that's fair enough. Now, is it all Raspbian then uh, at Pi Academy, or is it, you know, now that Windows has come along, I mean, is that sneaking in at all, or is it just purely Raspbian? Purely Raspbian. There's, there's no Windows IoT as yet. I'm sure in the future someone will say, can we try that? And obviously we'll make a the uh, software available for them to do that. But at the minute, it is pure Raspbian. So we are teaching them in a very short space of time the basics of Linux and then how to use a, a Linux GUI interface, so the Raspbian interface, how to use Python, how to use Sonic Pi, which is Ruby, 
electronics, and then anything else that comes along during the day. Minecraft is one that jumps to mind. People don't understand how to play Minecraft. If I put it in the hands of an eight-year-old child, instant expert. 36-year-old man, no idea. But it, it's just people coming with all these crazy ideas, but don't know how to fulfill them. So we give them the basic knowledge so they can fulfill those ideas and create them. So how long is Pi Academy again? Two days? Two days, yes. Two days, and you teach them all that in two days? Is it 24 hours full, nonstop? That's a lot to take in in two days. It's basically just like the Matrix. We plug them into a chair, and then... <laughs> <laughs> it must be quite a, a hectic schedule then, I mean, because there, there is a lot to learn, isn't there? There is, yes, and we, we can give them so much. But obviously there are facets that we can't teach them. I mean, teaching Linux, Linux is a vast subject area. And we could sit down and tell them all about uh, packaging, Debian packaging managers, that sort of thing. But we haven't got the time. We have to focus on getting them from the start to the end of that course and retain as much information, but also be proactive and be energetic about it. We've all been on training courses where some boring guy at the front drones on and on for about six hours and you get nothing out of it apart from a headache and maybe a free pen as well. <laughs> But at Pi Academy, we, we don't do that. We don't have someone at the front droning on and on about why Linux is fantastic or why Raspbian is fantastic or why you should always use Python because it's better than Perl or PHP or something like that. We keep the sessions short and sharp and you get something out of them so you can take something away. And it could be a sense of fulfillment that you've actually done that or it could be some handouts that you could use in class later on to show the kids what you can do with Raspberry Pi. But you take something away from it and that's the main thing about Pi Academy. And presumably it's really hands-on as well. It's, it's not theoretical, it's all practical. All hands-on. Every single session is hands-on. There's not a part of Pi Academy that's theory-based. Everything you do there, including getting the kit in your hands, we give you a guided tour of how it all works with the kit in your hands, and you can walk around it, step through what it does. We show you how to plug it all together to make your own computer and then start programming. None of it is done as a, a, a thought-based exercise. And you talked a bit about the application process and how, how you've got a waiting list. I mean, how does a teacher get involved with this? What's the first step? The first step is if you go on the Raspberry Pi website, so raspberrypi.org, and you go down to the Pi Academy section, which is about the middle of the page, and just have a look there and just see all the success stories, what, what people have been talking about past Pi Academies, what happens at them and then put your name down to apply. So tell us all about you, what you've done, what makes you different to other teachers. Tell us everything, and then it'll go to the centre leader, so either myself, Martin O'Hanlon, or Carrie-Anne Philbin. We'll go through all the applications. We'll look up, if you've done a video, because some people do videos, we'll look at the videos, we'll look at your websites, we'll look at you, and then we'll make a decision. And if you fit the bill, you're on the team. And in terms of cost then, what's the uh, story there? There's no cost whatsoever to the teachers who come. The Raspberry Pi Foundation does not charge for Pi Academy, which is a massive boon because CPD training in the United Kingdom, you're looking at maybe £400 for a day, which is a lot of money. But the foundation offer it free of charge. So what happens is you buy a Raspberry Pi, that money goes to the Raspberry Pi trading, the money then goes to the Raspberry Pi Foundation. The Raspberry Pi Foundation has a pot of money. They can put these courses on and invite teachers from around the UK, in fact, from around the world. 
they can then come on the course for free because someone bought a Raspberry Pi. These teachers come on the course. They then evangelize about Raspberry Pi to their classes. The parents buy a Raspberry Pi, which puts more money in the pot so we can run more Pi Academy sessions to get more teachers. It's completely win-win for everyone. I understand why the Raspberry Pi Foundation is being rigorous for the applications, but do you feel that's maybe doing the Raspberry Pi itself a disservice by limiting the amount of people? Because I feel... I feel there's always going to be more people wanting to learn it, but won't that number get so large at some point that by only limiting limiting it to 50 to 25 at a at a, every time is not going to get the word out properly about the pie? Do you feel is that the case, or is it the more was it quantity versus quality? I think if we have too many people on one course, there will be a drop in quality because you can only teach to so many people at once. I mean, for Pi Academy, we'll have one person leading the session and then at least two people as helpers. Say we'll go around and troubleshoot, so if someone gets stuck or slows down or gets behind, they will go and help them. If they have technical issues, either with hardware or software, they're there to help them. So that the, the person leading the session can then just go through and just lead the session. And that's one way they can keep the quality up, and the, the sessions are really high quality. But we've partnering with Google for these Google Pi Academies, the digital garages. So Leeds and Birmingham in the UK are digital garages with Google. And Google are working with the foundation to take Pi Academy across the United Kingdom. So you don't have to go to Cambridge every time. You can go to localised centres. And that's one way we can spread more people getting onto Pi Academy, more certified teachers who can then go off into their communities and tell parents, kids, and fellow teachers about Raspberry Pi and help get kids doing something really crazy and creative with computers. And out in the, the, the wider um, community work that you're doing, I regularly see you put up blog posts of things that you're doing and come across your name within magazines doing Raspberry Pi projects. What are some of the things you've been working on recently outside of the uh, Pi Academy? Outside of Pi Academy recently, I've been working on some bits and pieces for a museum that's potentially going to be opening in Blackpool. So that's where I'm based in, in Lancashire, in the United Kingdom. Um, Blackpool's got a rich heritage in the 1940s and 1950s of having big name stars come into the town. So Frank Sinatra being one of the biggest names. Also, the Beatles were here as well. But over the years, Blackpool has gone into a decline. And Blackpool Council are looking to create a museum which talks about the, the past, how good Blackpool was and how good it could be in the future. So I was commissioned to do a, a few pieces for them revolving uh, around the subject of light. So Blackpool has a rich history of the Blackpool Illuminations, which are a series of lights down the promenade of Blackpool, which are all controlled by a computer. So I produced three pieces of work which were all based around the subject of light. And the first one was um, a Pathé video player. So Pathé video being the, uh, the old videos that are retained online for historical reference which was controlled using uh, the Pi Piano from Pimeroni. So Zachary Eagleman's um, project to have a piano hat that fits on top of Raspberry Pi. So you press a key on the keyboard and it played a Pathé video, but it also played a little bit of music from Blackpool as well, and it played it on a big screen. Another project was to control illuminations remotely, so I had a, a Pi connected wirelessly using an Energini, all programmed in Python, so you press this big arcade button that was glowing red like a nuclear launch button. Press the button and it wirelessly connected to a big DJ rope light, like a, almost like NeoPixels but a lot cheaper. 
strewn all across my stand on the day and it just lit up the stand really brightly and it played a bit of music as well. And another one I was doing was um, the unicorn hats from Pimeroni. These are the 8x8 matrix of um, RGB LEDs that you can light up really bright. I had children designing illuminations on those and you could see the lights coming on as they clicked a little button on the screen to which corresponded to the matrix of the light. So kids were actually painting with lights, different coloured light, producing illuminations while they were at the stall, and it was great. So you're helping to organise OddCamp, Les. Uh, is there going to be much Raspberry Pi stuff there? I mean, any classes or talks specifically about it, do you think? We're going to have the Open Hardware Jam again this year, which was uh, last there in 2012. It's a, a massive event then. So we have OddCamp, the main event, going on. But we also have the Open Hardware Jam, which is an event inside an event. And really, it's just like a, a, a big hack space for the day. And we're going to have Raspberry Pis, Arduinos, you name it. If it's got a microcontroller and a bit of RAM, we'll have it there. <laughs> and that's been organised by the team who ran the Liverpool Makefest, which is Caroline and Mark. And they did a fantastic job organising the Liverpool Makefest. It was their first ever event, and they got 3,000 people through the door in one day. So no, they've they've got a history. They've they know what they're doing. Um, they're running that. It's going to be great because last time we had Raspberry Pi at Og Camp properly, we had Pete Lomas turn up at the Open Hardware Jam in 2012 when Raspberry Pis were still really hard to get hold of, and he brought a box full of them, and I'm talking a very big box full of them, and sold them there on the day for their, their cost value at the time. Yeah, I bought one off him. It was great. I was one of the first people to get one. I was uh, very chuffed with it. Although I couldn't use it because I didn't have anything to plug it into. Uh, I was staying in the hotel, so uh, I had to get back to London to play with it. But uh, yeah, I was very glad that I did did get that. And uh, yeah, we didn't mention when that is. That's Halloween weekend, isn't it? Uh, October the 31st and November the 1st. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've got a nice um, Halloween feel to our camp this year, including the t-shirts, which have got a bright green wolf on them, which I think is fantastic. It's a massive departure to previous days. It just looked like we had the Matrix on our T-shirts. Now we've got a wolf. That's cool. But yeah, a whole Halloween theme going through the weekend. Uh, I'm sure that there's going to be some hacks going on where we go to Poundland and buy a load of pumpkin-shaped lights or something like that and start hacking in with Raspberry Pis. We've, we've done it before. I'm sure we can do it again. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So if people want to find out more about you, where's the best place to uh, go on the internet then? The best place to find me is on my blog, which has got a vanity URL. <laughs> uh, it's B-I-G-L dot E-S. Which is Big Les. Big Les, yeah. Vanity URL. <laughs> and uh, every, everything's linked from there, Twitter and stuff like that then? Yeah, all the social media's linked from there, all my Flickr photographs, and there's also some rantings and mumblings on my blog that tells you what I'm doing at the moment. Great, yeah, well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for giving us your time, and it's been really interesting. Uh, hopefully, speak to you again sometime. No problem. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was really good talking to uh, Les about um, Odd Camp and all of his writing skills, and now he's helping out the foundation every single way. And it seems right now that every podcast I've been listening to has an interview with him promoting Odd Camp. I know, Joe, you're going to that. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I'll be going, and hopefully there'll be some interesting stuff going on um, with the Open Hardware event, with some Raspberry Pi stuff, and um, some great talks, and all the, the socializing as well in the evenings. That's uh, always good fun. So yeah, if, if you're not going, then you should be. Uh, come to Liverpool. It'll be a great time.
Yeah, I mean, he's in the middle of organizing uh, our camp and he's also still doing the Pi, uh, Pi Academy events. So again, that's really focused on getting teachers upskilled to be able to teach computing, again, using the Raspberry Pi. I, I love seeing on Twitter when the uh, the Pi Academies are on and the projects that they come up with. As he said, they basically give them an introduction, give them a box of parts and say, make something creative, which, you know, if if I was uh, doing computing these days, I would love it if my teacher did that. If they just said, here you go, there's here's enough knowledge to get you kicked off. Now here's some motors and sensors and LEDs and wires and a, a little computer and here's how to do some programming. Go mad with your creativity. What a, what a, a great way to get kids excited about uh, computing. Yeah, and completely free as well. That's um, it's just really brilliant stuff. But with that then, we're coming to the end of another Pi Podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later. <laughs>